Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, you may have an expectation for what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, And what I am going to be talking about is plot twists. See, uh, one of the things that stands out for me when I'm watching a movie or TV or even just reading a book is the plot twist. Uh, You know, the moment that happens and it shocks you. I mean, it draws you out of your seat because it's so unexpected when it happens. Uh, It seems fair to say that a well-written plot twist can literally cause your emotions to swing from one side all the way to the other. I would even argue that some plot twists are so good, you quite literally never see them coming. A good plot twist is so unexpected that it literally shocks you and at the same time draws you in closer and closer to whatever you're watching or reading, even more so than you were already. Now what if I told you that one one of the most iconic plot twists in all of movie history has been ruined by generation after generation since the plot twist happened. I imagine that depending on your movie knowledge and your favorite genre, you might already know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to do my best to re-describe it for you this morning. The year is 1980. Uh, I wasn't born yet, but I know that many of you may have been heading to the theater to watch the second movie of a series that began in 1977. Now, according to Wikipedia, this is a series that is described as an epic space opera. (laughs) Its popularity grows as the storyline is complex, and it's got all these different moving parts and dynamics. See, what it does is this movie brings a galaxy far, far away right into your very world. This movie connects with people on both a physical level and an emotional level as it invites you into this battle of good and evil. The second title of this movie would even have you believe that the bad guys actually come out on top, something that most movies don't ever let happen. But nonetheless, you walk into it with a new hope, assuming that things may not go the way they sound, and yet you are equally as excited. And the movie is action-packed, thrilling, from the beginning all the way to the end. It certainly lives up to its name. But after all that happens in that movie, there is one line that stands out as perhaps the greatest cinematic plot twist in all of movie history. No. I am your father. Interestingly, I'll have you know that that line is often misquoted because the more popular, well-known quote is, Luke, I am your father. But nonetheless, those words have been uttered by generation after generation, and when you hear them, so many people are reminded of that moment. The first time you watched Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back and you're taken back to that plot twist. You hear those words, and you're brought right back into that moment. Five simple words from Darth Vader to Luke Skywalker. And as you hear them, it's as if nothing in the world makes sense anymore. The so-called leader of the dark side reveals that he is the father of the one who is supposed to be the representative of the light. 
It's as if, how could this happen? It can't be. And yet, it is. Isn't that the point of a great plot twist? To bring to life the things that some people might suspect, but no one actually wants to believe. The plot twist that sends your minds in all kinds of directions as you try to figure out what is actually happening. If you're following with this morning's reading, uh, your mind might be spinning right now, and rightfully so. This morning's parable from Jesus is not what we would expect to hear. And at the same time, in the same way, Jesus is telling us a story. And with all the other details that are happening, you might actually miss what he's focusing on. See, as we begin in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus is doing something that he has done throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And it's something that I have mentioned in previous sermons. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he is preparing them for what lies ahead. And at the same time, he is establishing kingdom culture. And so once again, we find Jesus talking to his disciples about things in the kingdom of heaven and setting their eyes on what is going to happen there. And, interestingly, he does it using uh, a rather different story, something we're not used to hearing. He uses uh, a parable about ten bridesmaids or ten virgins, depending on which translation you read. And this is what Jesus says, beginning at verse 1 of of chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But these wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, There will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to dealers and buy some for yourselves. Now, there are probably lots of questions floating around your mind when you hear this text. I know one of the first ones that came to my mind was, why in the world are there ten bridesmaids? I mean, that is a large number of people for any kind of wedding party. And, of course, what's going on with all these lamps and this oil? I mean, all these different dynamics, there's a lot going on here. Uh, So let's unpack it a little bit. See, in ancient times, uh, it was actually common in first century Palestine that in Jewish culture, weddings would happen at night. And so it's completely reasonable that the bridesmaids would have all been carrying torches in order to light the way for uh, the bridegroom, in order to light the way so people could see where they were going. And so at the same time, it would also make sense that everyone knew this, and so they should all have been prepared to light the way. And yet, we hear that only five had oil in their lamps, and the other five didn't. And for those who were not ready, they were not given any extra oil. Instead, they were told to go out and to find some oil. Someone would be selling oil at this point, right? As you can imagine, it must have been nearly impossible for those bridesmaids without oil to go out into the middle of the night and to find someone selling oil at that time and to then make it back in time for the bridegroom. 
So they go out and they search, but they come back with no oil in their lamps. And when they do, they knock on the door of the wedding banquet. They shout, Lord, Lord, open to us. And then the plot twist. The bridegroom opens the door and says, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Truly I tell you, I do not know you? I, I, I can't even find the words to express how shocked I was reading this story. This is not the parable that we're expecting from Jesus. If anything, here's what we're expecting. The bridegroom opens the door, lets the five without oil in, and welcomes them, saying that even those who do not have will be let in. These are similar to the stories that Jesus would tell in other parts of the Gospel of Matthew, that even those who do not have are let in. And yet here, perhaps even more shockingly, not only are they not let in, the bridegroom looks at them and says, I do not know you. This parable does not sound like the others that Jesus tells. And I think part of that is because this parable, it doesn't fit the mold. It doesn't fit our expectations. Part of the reason this parable shocks us is because it sounds so familiar to us. This parable sounds like things that we have experienced in our own lives, stories that we've heard. It sounds like the story of uh, the college kid who wakes up late on the day of a big exam, and he grabs his laptop, still in his pajamas, runs across campus, and when he arrives to the classroom, the exam has begun, the door is locked, and he's turned away. It reminds us of uh, the story of uh, the woman who woke up late on the day for her job interview. And her alarm didn't go off, and so now she's frazzled. And as she gets up, she finally makes it into the office after having to sit in some traffic, not being able to get a cab. And when she makes it, she sees someone else is already interviewing. The door is locked, and she is turned away. This parable sounds like the family who uh, arrives at one airport because their original flight was delayed and so they're late and now they're running through the airport to connect to their last flight for vacation and this is the last flight out and so as they run to the next gate, the kids are being dragged along and when they get there, the door is closed. The one that they would need to go through to board the plane. And above the door, the sign says, once this door is locked, it cannot be opened for any reason. We never think about Jesus being the one who says the door is locked. We never think about Jesus being the one to say, truly I tell you, I do not know you. This is not the Jesus that so many people talk about. This is not the Jesus that we often hear about. This can't be him. And yet it is. See, Jesus often does this in his parables. He uses the parables to explain things to us that we don't actually expect. In this parable, he's exposing the false sense of security that those who reject him have. He's highlighting the reality that only those who believe in him will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And those who reject him 
will be left out. And what's even more shocking about this, this isn't even the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus says this. See, if you go back to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many more will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. This is not the message that we are used to hearing from Jesus, and yet this is part of his message. It seems then that all that information about this wedding and this feast and all the lamps and the oils and the bridesmaids and the bridegroom and all of this stuff is distracting us from what is really happening here. All of those things that Jesus tells us in the rest of the parable distract from what he says at the beginning of the parable. See, in verse 1, the parable begins with Jesus saying, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. So often in our lives, we find ourselves focusing on all the other things going on in the world that we lose sight of what God's word tells us. We come up with how things are going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And we often feel like we are the ones who will determine who gets in and who does not. We take positions as if our identity is staked on these claims. We focus on things as if the entire world is more important than our relationship and our eternity with Jesus. And we do those things because of our sinful nature. And when we do those things, we act like those who reject him. But here's the thing. Jesus already knows that. He knows that we are constantly struggling with sin. He knows that temptation lurks around us at every moment. He knows that the world is going to try to offer you only the things that he can give. He knows that the world is going to try to distract you from him and his word. He knows that the world is going to try to take away all that he has given. And he knows that there will be those who reject all that he has to give. And yet even knowing this, Jesus gives to us the greatest plot twist the world has ever known. Because while this parable today might seem shocking, the reality is it serves as a reminder of who Jesus is and what he is going to do. Jesus is the Son of God, incarnate by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Living here on earth was made man, crucified for us by Pontius Pilate. He suffers and he is buried. He descends into hell and on the third day he rises from the grave and ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he will come to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. 
The plot twist of Jesus dying for sinners like me and you will always be the best. This morning, it serves as a reminder of what the death and resurrection of Jesus means for us. The death and resurrection of Jesus means that it doesn't matter who the president is or who your boss is or any of those other things. But what matters is that the one that you believe in died and rose again for you. And that whoever believes in him may not perish but will have eternal life. And this eternal life comes with the gift of God's grace and mercy. All of these things come through the gift of faith that leads us to believe in Jesus. And through that gift of faith, we're reminded that our lamps will be filled with oil. Through the gift of faith that we receive by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that whether things are good or bad, our future is secure. Through the gift of faith that comes through the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that even though we don't know the hour or the minute when Jesus is returning, we know that he is coming back and that he rules and he reigns right now and forever. This morning, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus reminds us that we must not stray from our belief in him. But rather, we are made able to believe because of his incredible grace and love. Without the gift of faith, we would be just like those who reject him. We would be just like those knocking on the door and being left out, locked outside in the dark. But because of Jesus, because of the gift of faith that we receive, when we knock on the door, he will be there. Our true bridegroom will open up the door and he will have a place set aside for you. He will welcome you into his glorious and eternal kingdom. At all times and in all places, this is our great hope, that the return of Jesus is coming, that we will be ready and that because of our faith in Jesus, because of what he did for us, we will be with him forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.